0: You can't be taught how to be a director. It's not the same thing as like a cinematographer where like you can learn the, the science of framing and all that kind of stuff. And so I would say like shoot stuff and, 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 and work with actors in the theater program and like get to know how to cast that energy on a set. I believe that's what the role of a director is. The director is to make sure that you maximize energy in all forms. Um, in every department.
1: You're listening to The Director's Notebook, a podcast featuring actors and filmmakers to develop the perspective and tools to become a director in the film industry. I'm Samuel G. Davey, a videographer, student, and aspiring director coming to you from Toronto, Ontario. Today, I sat down with Akash Sherman, who is the writer and director of Clara. He's a very inspiring and passionate creative who dropped out of film school to create that movie at a very young age. We talk about getting your film up off of the ground, some directing techniques, and his journey with creating his first two feature films. I actually just recently watched that film, Clara, to prep for this podcast and definitely enjoyed it. I was honestly crying like a young child. Uh, but... (laughs) it's it's sad it's touching it's super moving um definitely go and see it uh i watched it on youtube so you can check it out there we don't spoil anything about it in this podcast but also you might understand a few things better if you listen to this podcast after either way akash has some amazing insight here and taught me a whole lot he made me laugh also and definitely inspired me to work hard Akash actually reached out to me I think we mentioned it briefly in this podcast but he sent me a message via Instagram and it meant a lot to me and kind of inspired me to do the same thing with other people that I think have an impact on me so yeah I think that's definitely something to think about and it's the reason that me and him are talking today and had that connection so maybe next time you see something on Instagram or YouTube leave a comment. If you don't usually, um, reach out to someone, message them, DM them, tell them what you liked about it. I think it goes a really long way. And I definitely know that it did for me. Cause Sherman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Did you, did you listen to the last podcast? I think I put a link yeah, I put a link in the the document. Um, I didn't I didn't
0: listen to it, but I I know Julian and, and uh, yeah, he, I think he was our steady cam on on a couple days.
1: Yeah, he said second AC um, on the podcast. We actually talked about you because of when when you reached out to me. Uh, just like one of the things you said to me was going through my head, and then your name came up, and then I was like, I have to have him on the show, so I hit you with a message
0: yeah cool yeah i'm sorry <laughs> sorry, i missed the episode
1: i was just curious because we did bring bring up your name what you thought i called it clara in that podcast and i'm like oh shit because there's like
0: <laughs> I, that's kind of like the cool thing is that like once you watch it, it's like oh like like you i almost kind of like that like uh, i talked about that with the actors and like that's kind of cool like the people who've seen the movie will now like call it clara uh like clara's like the It's the European pronunciation of that name. Uh, Clara got very, like, North Americanized. um, And, like, we kind of wanted her origin to be somewhat, I don't know, uh, overseas.
1: Did she actually know that many languages?
0: She knew a couple. Um, I think some of the other ones, like South African and uh, Japanese, those she had to work with... um, a coach. Uh, some yeah, like a translator. Yeah. We had we had people like go through every word and pronunciation with her, wow. and I it was only like a sentence or so, but yeah, uh, I was really blown away by her Spanish, because <laughs> uh, because that that was like spain Spanish. It wasn't like Mexican Spanish. They're completely different, and uh, uh, she did a really good job memorizing that and and and, and sinking that in.
1: But that's really cool. Um, I'm a huge fan of Match Cuts. I love Match Cuts so much. Like, I don't, I don't even know why. I'm also a huge fan of Bob Dylan. Like, that was my favorite Bob Dylan song, like, genuinely. Um, and when it came on, I was like, no, I, e- even when I saw the album, I was like, let's go. This is just awesome. And then it played such a huge part in the film.
0: Yeah, I freaking I love that song. I love Bob Dylan. And I wrote it into the script. And I was like, this needs to be in here. Nice. And then Sony Music came back to us with uh um the number thirty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. And, and and an extra an extra twenty-five if we wanted to use it in the credits. That's why it cuts to cuts very abruptly before the credits, because wow. we just we didn't have the money. No. Um and uh even for the initial fee, like my de- like I I, I, I did all the VFX for free because we took the VFX budget and put it into music. So we wow. get that song.
1: Did you shoot uh, that scene like before you heard about the funds and stuff like that? Like, was it kind of like certain you had to get that song?
0: Yeah, we, we had figured out all the licensing beforehand.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And we,
0: we even had to like license the, the cover of
1: the album. Really?
0: Yeah, there's so much oh. of that stuff.
1: That's the stuff they don't te- they haven't taught me yet in school. I don't know if they will. Yeah, uh, that's a big big thing actually. I think yeah. if you ever
0: if you ever make a short film or, or anything that you want you know to, to uh, get put out there in, in, in a professional context, clearance clearance is a big thing. you know avoid all logos at all costs. If you are going to use an iPhone, you know like character talks on the iPhone, message Apple beforehand and get written clearance that you can do that. Right. Um, I didn't know any of that when I made Rocket List. And thankfully, I'm a VFX artist. The amount of logos I painted out in that movie took me, like, weeks. But, like, we had a guy wear, like, a rat-tat-tat shirt. I had to completely paint it out. Uh, My friend's fucking Joe Boxer underwear kept poking, like, (laughs) just the little... I had to paint it out. Um, oh, some okay. of it, we were. Some of it, we managed to get cleared. Um, we're like Apple. I think we actually secured Apple. I can't remember, but it's it's crazy. It's a whole part of the business
1: that no one tells you about. Yeah, you just have to find it out in the worst way.
0: <laughs> yeah, like seriously, seriously. If you if you're ever filming something that's you know big and important to you, like just shoot me a message ahead of time. And like, I'll I'll try and remember all the things that uh, need to happen before before you shoot
1: because yeah, the, stu-
0: the stuff that no one will tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I would love to hear that. Uh, yeah, awesome, man. Um, but yeah, I want to say like match cut wise, the reason I started like writing things down when I was watching your film was obviously so that I would have something to talk about. But it clicked when I saw the match cut from, like, your visual effects to the beer, I think it was. And I just thought that was, I just thought that was so cool, because I was like, it, it actually, like, meant something. I feel like a lot of the time I see a match cut, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Sometimes it means something, but, like, with that, he was kind of staring down at it, and it kind of made me feel like that's just always on his mind, no matter what he's looking at, no matter what he's doing. He's so engrossed in, like, this life
0: you know it's funny because like this probably was more prominent in the script and didn't make it as much into the film but like alcohol was a real vice for him and so to see like the thing that he's obsessing over into something that kind of you know propagates his downward spiral spiral like i thought that would have been really cool and so in editing uh in editing i like rearranged the foam of the beer like in visual effects to like yeah. match like the darker spots of the corona of the sun no way. so so i really i really tried to get that transition to,
1: <laughs> well to it just was hit. <laughs> well you nailed it and it's the first thing i i called out so i guess it paid off to some some extent yeah that's sweet and then also just like another big thing um for me when i was watching it was just the way, like, how many features had you written before this?
0: Um, hmm, I have written one, two, possibly f- three. I, re- I have right. written three features, um, uh, two of them unproduced, the other was my first feature, but oh. my first one was intentionally unscripted, like. We had like a all the story beats and everything and like general dialogue, but like I kind of wanted to just let all that stuff happen naturally. Um, so yeah, I, I had I had like written feature screenplays before, um, and I think I this and this was this is like my advice to like every filmmaker who wants to write a feature, whatever your first script is, like finish it if you can get to that that last page and you know put the nail in the coffin and type vn um whether the script is any good or not and obviously you need to go back and edit it and make it so much better because the first i call it the vomit draft Um, (laughs) but if you get if you get that vomit draft out like it removes this like psychological barrier of uh like like the insurmountable feat of writing 90 plus pages uh and so even though i I consider clara to be like my uh first better written screenplay i think i needed to get past those other two kind of practice runs
1: right yeah for sure and like i guess it shows right because what i was going to point out was just how well you you like placed certain things. I don't even know if this was like in the editing room or if it was in, in the script specifically, but I found like you placed little things like I'll use an example. Um, the flashback with the record player. I mean, that was huge for me because you don't have to have anybody say anything to understand what's going on in the character's head. You already know and can relate to them because of what you've seen. And like, I just thought there were so many instance instances like that, that, really just made me super emotional basically
0: you know it's interesting when you when you're in the edit room and you're editing a film and you have to think about the linear um delivery of information to your audience yeah yeah like so much of that I I feel was scripted but a lot of it also came in just like little moments in editing being like oh whoa like what if we just like add a shot here that 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 just kind of subconsciously yeah, you know delivers some information um i i don't want to spoil too much with the ending of the movie but there's a large thing at the end of the end of the movie and in editing uh clara was like sketching in a notebook and if you look really close one of the drawings she made was that and uh that was completely digital like it, she was drawing something completely different and then in what? editing i was like in editing i was like i want to i want to place this imagery here i want to plant that seed so uh i had my friend Youp, uh who went with me and uh, amazing sketch artist uh and he drew like um kind of like a natural version of the object at the end And like had like cherry blossoms growing out of it like it's a really short shot in the film but if you do if you see it a second time you notice that you're gonna be like oh whoa like that that it's it was intentional but totally came after the fact in in post
1: yeah it's it's funny like as an observer an audience member you never know and it's cool hearing those stories yeah cool uh we developed our connection back in october 2020 through a film competition and you reached out to me with some really inspiring words that truly meant a lot to me. And I'm just happy to have you here and to talk to you about your work.
0: Well, it's funny, I, like, your work spoke to me. Like I, I I saw it among, I don't know how many entries. And I was like, this one really stands out. And I saw that you were going to Ryerson and was like, I've got to talk to this guy. That would be really fun. <laughs>
1: That's funny, I honestly felt the exact same way. It's great, yeah. I remember showing my parents. I was like, "Look at this submission." They were like, "Uh oh, <laughs> that, that one might that one might win." <laughs>
0: That's how I felt about yours. Like, I I, <laughs> I, I was shocked that yours didn't win. If I'm being honest, I thought I thought it kind of nailed exactly what they were asking for.
1: So, well, thank you, thank you. But yeah, like I I loved Clara. I I really want to get into it right now. But uh, first of all, I want to ask you, kind of like where you started with film and, you know, your inspiration to get into it. Cause I know that um, your parents weren't necessarily in the arts.
0: Well, I'm definitely the, uh, the, the kind of black sheep of the family. Um, <laughs> my dad's a doctor, mom's pharmacist. My sister, uh, is now a doctor, uh, and it's just the four of us. And so I, I guess, I mean, I grew, I grew up on, like, Disney movies, I guess, just like VHSs, Aladdin, Lion King, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it wasn't until I watched the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS that I was, I must have been, like, four or five. And I was just like, wow. Like, that, how did they do that? You know all the space and all that kind of stuff and it made me really think that anything is possible on film um and i'm a big star wars nerd so uh yeah just kind of growing up i always had that just like reverence for movies that really transport you and take you to a new universe um uh i love the harry potter movies growing up um pixar toy story like just I it was, it became such a cornerstone of my day to day, just as a kid, like, okay, what movie are we gonna watch next? And, and so uh, I, I also was an avid Lego builder. <laughs> and uh, so I think I must've been in like grade five or something like that. And I stole my mom's uh, point and shoot digital cameras. Uh, it's funny you'd never see those anymore because everyone has them on their phones but uh, I just kind of took it and I started taking like stop-motion pictures of Lego and uh, I guess that was like my first video and uh, I, I just thought it was so cool like when you put all the images together, the, the Lego is moving and it's coming to life. And so, uh, in a sense, like I started to build sets and all this kind of stuff out of toys and then like place the camera and like tell a story. Uh, there's a lot of like Lego gore, <laughs> like just like <laughs> swords getting and, like heads flying and shit. And, uh, but, but it, uh, I, it, the, It was like creativity cranked up to 10. Like when you're a kid you play with toys and you know (laughs) you're smashing bionicles together but then like if you film it and like edit it and all that kind of stuff you can share whatever was in your head whatever was like you know (laughs) in the in all the kind of mouth sounds and battle sounds and stuff you can share that with someone and they can watch it and be like oh cool um, and so I think my first video was, I called it the battle of Playmobil, uh, it was like the six minute long thing. And it was like, this like massively choreographed Lord of the Rings kind of battle, like castles and like, oh, it's, it was really fun and like super janky. Cause like it was a low res camera, but, um, and I didn't use a tripod. So that's, not good. that's, that's not <laughs> good. Step. Yeah. it's not good kind for of stop motion. Um. And I have that like up on YouTube, unlisted. But I like to go back to it sometimes because it's my first video, and uh, that must have been 2006, so a long time ago. (laughs) And that's that's kind of when I knew, like, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Like, I wanted to make movies. Um, But then, kind of going back to like schooling and family and stuff, there was no real. Um, I couldn't really like form in my head how to walk that path there's there's like no guidebook um, especially with none no of my family were connected to the arts um, so it, it was a massive question mark to me and in high school I just kind of kept making videos and watching movies I watched so many movies like I had a movie channel and like a PVR, and i've just watched everything um uh, this was kind of before netflix had any good stuff on it um and so yeah i just kept making videos in high school uh to the to the chagrin of my father uh, i like i built sets in his garage and he got real pissed <laughs> <laughs> but uh Yeah, and so I I just kept pushing myself there. And then um, something happened where I really kind of discovered what it is to be a storyteller. It's kind of sad. In grade 11, I had like this final video project due for a video class I was taking. And uh, while I was writing it, my my dad's father died and I, I had never really encountered loss at this point. And so I just kind of took all those feelings and those questions and the confusion and the sadness of it all. And and I put it into this little short film. Uh, It was called For Them, For You. And uh, I, it it was kind of about like this like boy, who's like lost a toy soldier and he's like trying to find it. And then you realize later at the end of the film that it wasn't a toy soldier. It was was like someone's close to him. Um, and I just, for the help, my, my teacher was like, dude, you should submit this to festivals. So I submitted it to my local film festival. I submitted it to a few others. Uh, it screened at my local film festival and like I saw people crying and I was like, Whoa, like it reached them like that. It was so, it really blew my mind. And then something really surprising happened. Uh, a MacBook came in the mail for me and I was like, what? Because I I I not I wasn't that bougie. Like I, I couldn't buy a MacBook <laughs> at the time. Um and I was like, what is this? And I must have given the film festival the wrong email or something. I had won best of festival and best narrative at, at a festival in Michigan. <laughs> and like they gave me like a scholarship and shit. And um I <sighs> I was just floored. I was like, wow. Um, I didn't end up going just because I, I wanted to stay in my hometown to finish school. But uh, yeah, like from a school project to like playing at film festivals and winning a couple of awards, it was <laughs> it, it was kind of like the validation I needed to, to, to push me forward into what at this point was a passion uh into like something i wanted to forge into a career uh but then my parents were like nope <laughs> gotta get a normal degree first son you know uh and so i went to the university of albert of alberta for uh education i was going to be a teacher so i did a, a year of a teaching degree but just kept making movies on the side and it's just what i filled my time with and uh I ended up entering this competition. It was called the Cinecou Film Accelerator. Uh, It's a nationwide competition. I kind of, I kind of wish that still existed right now, but basically uh, you make a two minute trailer. And if you win the competition, they give you a million dollars to make the movie and a guaranteed Cineplex release. So, uh, and I had just turned 18, like I, in like the submission period you needed to be an adult so i just turned 18 and so i got my buddy so i used to make videos with in, in high school and i was like guys let's do this and so uh we entered the competition as the youngest team everyone else was from like toronto and vancouver and we like 35 to 40 working in the industry then here are like these three like Albertan 18 year olds <laughs> and uh basically our cons our, our thing was called uprising and i had already had a background of vfx because i was a nerd doing like lightsaber effects and stuff <laughs> on my on my like videos with my friends so then we really elevated the production quality of what we shot for like 200 bucks and uh it looked pretty cool like it looked like this dystopian like hunger games kind of thing and Everyone was like, wait, how, how did you do that? You guys are like so young. And it, it's funny because it all came down to like post and, and I would say even VFX. And so that's also a time when I knew like that's, that was such a valuable thing to have in my toolkit. Um, so th- that competition spanned like months and it was really grueling because you had to keep making content. And we got second.
1: What? I was I was waiting for you to say it first, honestly, but that's uh, just as insane, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Like so the top five, they took all of us and we went to the Banff World Media Festival and we pitched our projects in a room of like 200 producers. And uh, yeah, we, we we thought we were going to win because we had all the highest metrics, like the fan scores and all that stuff and viewership. And I also heard from behind the scenes that the judges panel loved ours the most. But the person who was running the competition just said, like, listen, they're too young. Like oh. we can't we can't realistically give them this, right? Um, um we can just kind of give them a platform to grow from. And I at the time, honestly, I wasn't even that salty about it, but looking back on it, gosh, I'm so glad I didn't win. <laughs> like, like 18-year-old like knowing nothing it, it would have been it would have been a real tough thing so the person that actually did win uh was my friend lowell dean and we became such good friends during the competition he let me do the vfx on the feature that he ended up making with the money and so that was like my first industry gig i did vfx on a movie that went to like Samplex theaters it's called wolf cop kind of really funny b horror movie and uh at that conference um One of the judges, his name is Robert Lantos, came up to me the second, like the winner was announced. He came straight to my friends and I and he said, I want to make your movie. Um, And he gave me a handshake and his son, Ari Lantos, gave me his card and they said, come to Toronto when you're ready. (laughs) And so I... I basically begged my parents i was like listen can i go to film school in toronto i got and i had got into ryerson off my application film uh and they it took a lot of persuading but they figured okay it's still school so like you know if he gets a bachelor's degree he can still maybe teach after kind of thing right um yeah and so i at 19 years old i was on my way to toronto and i went to ryerson uh, lived in residence
1: so fun which which one i was in Pittman. yeah same with me yeah fourteen. I, w- <laughs> I was 11
0: and uh i met so many friends there like just oh it was, it was so cool to be around my own kind like the people who love movies and and want to make them and so uh yeah that was like going to hogwarts for me Cause <laughs> like I'm, from, I'm like from edmonton and then toronto is such a big big step up like there's so much going on in that city it's an incredible city and so uh yeah i'm there and 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 i'm in film school and i had just shot my first feature of the rocket list the summer before and so i was edit editing it throughout uh all of my first year and my friends and i just shot it on like a camcorder seven grand budget just about a group of friends uh documenting their final days before an asteroid hits and uh so like it it like it, i guess it's count kind of, it's it's called found footage
1: like it's kind of like a blair witch sort of yeah sorta. the cat
0: the camcorder is like a part of it so mm-hmm. like, it's all us speaking to camera and we just play it ourselves so it was just me and my three best friends uh but it, it was fun and like we ended up i ended up like selling it to a distributor and it was on like amazon prime for a while um i'm not sure where it is now but <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it was cool like i i already had put a feature out at like 19 um obviously it wasn't like the biggest highest quality thing but like it it's just so cool to have like that fun road trip with my friends
1: yeah i bet on
0: on amazon prime
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is crazy And it kind of boils down to something that you said to me a long time ago uh, when you reached out to me, keep making things, never doubt yourself and find yourself a perfect reason or project not to finish film school and take your best peers with you. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of like to sum up everything you had just said. It was kind of about, you know, just keep making things. And obviously, as you said, with that road trip one, like you're having fun doing it. And that's what it's about.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Like. Uh, and I'll kind of get into why I left school um, if, if if that's something you want to talk about next
1: yeah I am curious actually first off let me
0: say this I, I don't think film school is bad like I think yeah. you, you'll find a lot of filmmakers that are like you don't need it kind of thing and I think there's some substance to that argument I think, I think it all depends on your personality um, if you're someone who really just wants to learn how to make movies, film school is great. And it'll put you, it'll you'll be situated around people who wanna do that. You'll have gear that you can use and it's a really good opportunity to kind of make stuff um, in, in that environment. But I, I guess with me having, I had already made two short films, I went to festivals. I did that competition. I shot my first feature So when I got to first year, I was, I just didn't feel like I was being challenged at all. (laughs) And, and like, let me give you an example of, of, of my, my personality clash, I guess, with, you know, school. (laughs) Um, I, I was in first year and they brought a bunch of producers as like a panel to the school to like talk about the industry. And then the fourth year got to have one-on-ones with uh, the producers and really pick their brains specifically. And I had, I had an edited feature, right. And I wanted to, you know, I'm paying all this money to go to the school. And I I asked the school, I was like, can I go to these one-on-one meetings? Like I could, I feel like I could really benefit from that. And they said, you have to wait till fourth year? I'm like, I'm not going to wait three years. I got a movie done. Like just, you know, give a man a bone like just help me out and uh the school was also like they wouldn't let me screen my feature for my peers um like I asked to like just use a classroom after hours and be like can I show the movie and get feedback they said if you didn't make it on like during school time because I shot it the summer before they can't support it and um that really sucked. And I, this has nothing to do with the teachers. Like the teachers were all very supportive. This was more like the actual administration. And so I started to get like really rebellious. And I went to those one-on-one meetings. I lied and I said I was a fourth-year student. And uh, I totally snuck in. Someone didn't show up and I like filled their slot. And uh, um, one of the guys I spoke to, he was a financier. His name's Jim Sternberg. And I guess he really just liked my moxie. I was up front with him. I was like, I totally lied to get in here, but I got a feature and I would love your guidance. And uh, Jim, oh, such a wonderful person. Uh, I consider him a mentor. He he got Rocket List uh, into Urban Post Production, which is a post studio in Toronto. Um, Ironically, where they did Suits and Suits might come up later. Um, And uh, I was... uh, he gave us post audio mixing for free like just total he just totally wanted to support a young artist and like so rocket list got you know audio mixing and all that stuff at a professional level I didn't have to pay anything it was just you know just beautiful generosity from some people and so but I'm so glad that I lied, you know what I mean? And I'm not a liar, I just mean like, I'm, I, I needed to do what was best for my career and, and tell the school, no, like I'm here, this is what I'm here for, right? Um, so I, I, I kind of had a difficult uh, relationship with, with school because I just felt very held back. But the good thing about it is meeting people, meeting friends, professors, um, that those friendships will, you know, go way further than any degree, anything. So, um I I, 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 I would suggest people go to film school and try it out. Um, but then again, kind of going to what we had talked about, I think my my little uh, <laughs> uh, amendment to that statement would be, make a project that'll, that, that you'll leave film school for that, mm-hmm. that, that you think like will actually set you on a, on a different path um, and, 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 and kind of liberates you to be you as a filmmaker. Um, for me, that was Clara and I, I didn't get into how that all kind of came together. <laughs> it's a crazy story.
1: Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just about to segue into that. Um, I would love to hear it.
0: Okay. Uh, Like like the very first like push that like you know thrusted a nineteen year old into (laughs) getting a film funded. Yep, that's it. Uh, Okay, I I think I was actually twenty. It was I just turned twenty in in December. It was January, and uh, essentially I was in an art history class. You know, three hour lectures. And um I love I love that stuff, but it was a particularly dry lecture that day, and I had this epiphany. I must have been like, I don't know, like sleep deprived, and like I, I don't know, it was just like I, my mind was racing. And I'm sitting there, and it's such a boring lecture that day. And I thought about it. I thought about all the people, all the that we're learning about in this class, the Van Goghs, the you know uh, just all all these wonderful artists that have shaped the mediums and i thought about like none of these people would be sitting in class right now like they're the crazy ones they're the weird ones that'll stay up late and make stuff and just make stuff right uh, and no one can tell them how and what to do and so i, I kind of promised myself right then and there is like hey, by the end of today you're going to have a story you guys you just got to go find it write it so I left the the lecture halfway through all well, my friends were like where the hell is he going like I picked up my backpack and I just marched off uh and I like walked around Toronto for two hours it was like January so it was like minus 20 but I, I was in my zone listening to like the interstellar soundtrack the imitation <laughs> game soundtrack and just mm-hmm. like getting juices flowing and then I I landed on a, on a concept and uh it just you know I, I was thinking about space i was thinking about human connection and i just wanted to like guard that and run with it so i went back to my pitman dorm shut my door uh sat there for seven hours at my laptop i had no idea what i was going to write but i just like let it all flow so for seven hours i'm just like typing who knows what right and uh By the end of it, I had a six page outline. um, And it was about an astronomer and an artist who kind of come together from completely different points of view. And together they end up making a big discovery. And I I really liked that premise. Uh, And then I named it Clara because uh, the word means clear and bright um, like a star. And so, uh, Yeah. I I showed it to my roommate and he was like, yeah, this is, this is not bad. It's cool. You know? And so I, even that was enough encouragement for me to be like, okay, I'll keep developing it. Then I I reached out to a writer friend of mine, James Waziek, and he helped me develop the premise and we both wrote the story together. And then right after first year ended, I was just like, screw it. I took out a box of business cards that I had from networking events and so this ties back to that BAMF conference, uh, that handshake that I got in the business card of the, the Lantos, uh, Robert Lantos and Aerie Lantos. I had kept that card for three years, like, a, or two years or whatever. I kept it very close. And uh, uh, I called it, I, I called the number, I emailed the number or the email address and Aerie Lantos was like, yeah, sure, come in. Like, I remember you, like, why don't you to catch me up? So I go in to his office. Oh, it's a really nice building. It's a, a Serendipity Point Films. And, like, they were, like, a big production company in Canada. Like, they had done Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen, which is, like, an incredible David Cronenberg film. Uh, they did Barney's version with Paul Giamatti and Dustin Hoffman. Like, the, this, these guys were really good at what they do. And so... I go to this building, it's like this like, really nice Feng Shui marble building in like, uh, what's it called, Summerside, Rosedale. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm waiting there to get into the into the office with Ari and, and, and Pitch, and I'm so nervous, like my knees bounce and I gotta pee, <laughs> you know? And then uh, the secretary says like, oh, he needs five minutes." and I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> And uh, I just kind of like breathed and got myself together and i got into to office and he's really chill and he loves space. I think he had just seen interstellar. So he was all about it. And uh, uh, I just pitched Clara and he loved it. It was something we were, we were so on the same wavelength of the kind of movies we liked. And uh, he was a great guy, you know, just like, uh, I mean, is, he's still around. <laughs> he uh, he uh, really supports young artists. And the next day they sent me an option agreement, meaning that like they're optioning uh, my story and are going to hire me to write the script for it. And if the script is any good, then we'll go to get funding for it. So I made the tough decision that my parents hated. Um, I was not going to go to school for the second year. And I was completely cut off, <laughs> like financially, like nothing, <laughs> you know, they said, if you're not going to go to school, then we can't help you. Um, wow. And, and I, I know that sounds a little cold. Uh, my family, are I, they're really good people. I love them to death, but I, I can see how they were hesitant about this career path because it is, again, there's no guidebook typically the entertainment industry is kind of uh tumultuous very turbulent you know feast or famine um definitely no regular paychecks that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it's scary it was very scary and i think they were being protective and they wanted stability for me but i i just couldn't go back to school having having this opportunity um but uh I was broke. Like I couldn't pay my rent because uh, Toronto is so expensive. So I I ended up getting into VR and I worked at a VR company on Queen street and uh, that kind of paid my bills while I wrote the script. And after the first draft of the script, Aerie really liked it and was like, let's just do a couple tweaks and send it out to people who you want to cast. And uh, I was a big fan of Suits at the time, you know, it shot in Toronto. It was really cool. You'd kind of like sneak up on like them shooting downtown to be like, yo, there's (laughs) Harvey Specter, Megan Markle, who's, you know, uh, ended up becoming a princess. Um, (laughs) And uh, Patrick Adams was the top of my list. Like I, 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 he was my favorite character on Suits. He had this like, genius intensity in the characters he played but like could really really crack open emotion once he's pushed and uh and suits really only touched the scrape the surface of that like I knew that this guy had so much in him and so uh Ari had actually gone to high school with him because they're both from Toronto uh and so uh he just called it Patrick up and was like, Hey, I got this script from this kid and you want to read it. Patrick read it, came back, uh, came back with some notes, but really loved where it was headed. And he and I started going back and forth for a couple months, just working on the character. And then soon, uh, I met his then fiance, now wife, um, Troy and who is on, she was on pretty Little liars and, uh, Together we all just kind of kept talking about the characters, the film, and it was such a good, I don't know, trio match, and like so much respect on all, all ends, and um, yeah, like I just felt like the script kept getting better and better. Like I I, I couldn't I, I I almost hesitate to be like yeah, like it's my script because it's 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 so it's so much about the collaboration of of your actors, your producer, um, my friend James. So yeah, I, the collaboration was was firing on all cylinders and we were ready to make this movie.
1: Do you remember what kind of notes that you got from those people you collaborated with? Yeah,
0: I mean, Patrick, Patrick's very character focused and, and obviously that's kind of what the movie is. And so he had so many ideas, uh, so many quirks that he wanted to add to the character. Uh, One of the things that I think I I really sold him on and and that's kind of when we really became like in tune is he wanted to see something in the opening scene that's like so absurd, absurdly cynical from this character. Um, He's like, this guy's a genius, right? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, can get him to mathematically dismantle love. And I was like, uh okay and so I stayed up all night and I wrote I wrote the scene and I sent it to Patrick in the morning and he was like hey remember that time uh, I asked you to mathematically dismantle love like yeah you did that because uh that opening scene like I took all the statistics possible kind of put them in like a little equation and it, yeah, it's, it's cynical as hell. And, <laughs> and I personally don't believe that, but but the character was in that headspace. And so I think the, that's a really good example about how Patrick and I worked together. And uh, it was just kind of like fun little challenges and experimenting, you know, not, not everything stuck, but that's those, those are the kind of notes that ended up coming together. Where uh, um, And actually, I have to give credit to Troyan the ending of the film that last scene with the signal <laughs> yeah. her that was her idea i wasn't mine she she thought about it uh, she thought about some of the earlier elements of the film and she's like what if that made a comeback and like, that was it. And I had, I had, I, it was, I fell in love with that idea, but then I was like, how am I going to get that certain signal to be sent? Like, how, how does one do that? Yeah. Um. um but I, I found a kind of quantum answer for it. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome that they, that they were willing to like collaborate and, and help you out that way. I mean, we kind of passed over it because your stories are flowing so well, and I just I'm just sitting back and listening. It's amazing.
0: I got a big uh, mouth. I talk
1: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, it's probably good for a director, I'd say. Uh, but um, what I was gonna ask was sort of that pitching process. Um, what did that look like in the room and like getting that off the ground? And I mean, that's amazing that you were confident to do that. I feel like that's super intimidating.
0: I think I think the first step is finding a producer. That can be your champion, like someone that'll uh, vouch for you, root for you, challenge you. Uh, So Arielantis was that person for me, and uh, you know he he's seasoned. He knows the kind of the ropes and and which rooms to be in and how to work those rooms. So there, he's very much a mentor. Like he kind of coached me into it, and so you know we went to Telefilm, we went to OMDC, went to distributors and so it's it it was just me and Ari with like a laptop like showing them a little actually I'll, I'll give you one thing that I think really strengthened our our ability to pitch in those rooms um again kind of giving my given my editing and post background I uh I cut together a mood trailer for the film before anything was ever shot. I think we shot a few shots for it with my friends from Ryerson, but I took clips from other movies, like mashed them together so that, and I had like a voiceover over it. And like, if you read the script and you watched this trailer, like this very much represented the movie. And if you look at the mood trailer now to the actual trailer of the movie, they're very similar. And so I think that, because I'm this young kid with nothing to my name, I think the only way I could convince these people to fund the movie is to just show them the movie that, that they're going to be funding. Right. And so that, that mood trailer piece was possibly the, like, um, you know, the, the, uh, that was, I, I think the real thing that actually convinced people to fund this and uh Ari, Ari, and i have used that um uh, uh we we've used the mood trailer strategy uh, more than once now <laughs> so um yeah going into those rooms it, you know it's definitely daunting and they asked so many questions about like do you feel confident about this you're so young and you know uh and um i think there's this like awesome quote from the Will Smith movie, Pursuit of Happiness, where he's like, if I don't know the answer to a question, like I'll find you the answer, right? Um, and so I think just kind of going in there with the openness of knowing that, yes, I am not, I'm nowhere near a veteran in this. Uh, uh, I just, I have the will to... You know to overcome all these hurdles and, and find the answers and, and figure it out so yeah i mean like it's 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 I, I wouldn't say it's easy at all going into all the pitch rooms and asking people to fund your film it's a really tough prospect but um i think it was made a lot easier by a great producer um who was able to kind of uh really prepare me and help me acclimatize to that that part of the industry because frankly that that stuff was not taught to me in film school
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely then kind of along those lines was trust an issue like during the production process as well just because I know like you being so young and having so much authority on this set wouldn't I feel like it'd be hard to almost convince people of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly was. I, I could feel it sometimes in like undertones. The actors trusted me because I knew Patrick a year. We, we had worked on the script for a year before we went to camera. And then Troy and I had met about six months into that year. So with the two lead actors and even all the other actors like Ennis Esmer and Kristen Hager, there was a lot of good amount of trust going into it. So I I don't think I felt any of that from the actors. Um, Definitely from the financing and distribution side, um, there's reason, you know, reasonable, reasonable amount of doubt. Um, But, Yeah, I I don't really know what the trick is to just convincing people that you can do it. I think you just have to believe that you can do it and people will notice that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, and planning, obviously, if you can plan. Um, And also, like, my approach to directing, and maybe this will change as I get older, um, because obviously you, you hear about a lot of these auteur directors like Tarantino and... And, and Terrence Malick and like, it's their way or the highway. Like it's, it's only gonna be their vision and there's no real room to move around in that. I was kind of the opposite. I, I wanted everyone in the departments, art department, wardrobe actors, if you have an idea, run it past me. I wanna be able to, to, to add that to, to, to the cocktail of, of creativity. It, I didn't want it to just be my way or the highway. And I think that amount of openness for the, for the context of being such a young person on set, like, let me, get, let me give you an example. We had a, we shot with a baby infant on one of the days. That was the only day I wasn't the youngest person on set. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> okay. wow. uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think, I think just being able to hear everyone, make a decision based on all the information that you're given and then being confident in that decision that that's that's how you earn everyone's trust and how they can kind of believe in you um and i i've always my my motto with directing is that it's not it's not about how it's not about like me having power over every aspect of the film. I think it's about empowering everyone else so that they could do the best job they can. And uh, uh, and then that goes from everywhere from like art department to composing everything. Like our art department went really clutch on this film because even though we had like a much bigger budget than I'm used to, when you're like a full union shoot (laughs) and you have like 19 days to shoot a feature, things get a little you know, uh, tight, but, uh, we had no, we had no disasters shooting. It all went really well.
1: I actually recently had Colton Stewart on the podcast and the way you were talking about your directing style and developing that during this film, he was kind of talking about directors having different backgrounds, like editing cinematography. He even mentioned choreography. And I'm wondering like you, you're into visual effects and stuff like that. And, I'm wondering what you think your approach or your specialty is in that regard.
0: Yeah, that's a really good thing to touch on uh, via what Colton said. Um, before I kind of talk about what my thing is, I I, I definitely like studied a lot of directors. Uh, for instance, a, a really good movie that I think is totally underrated is A Single Man, which was directed by Tom Ford. Tom Ford is like that uh clothing designer guy yeah (laughs) He's he's not a filmmaker but he is he made a movie and like it just oozes tom ford and like all the clothing is his clothing and it's it's weird like it whatever creative vision he has for design of clothing translated to framing and everything and so i think i think a director having some sort of um I don't know, like, like sp- special power, you know, that, that you kind of have invested a lot more time in um, really pays off. Uh, and so um, I, mine, I would say is post uh, visual effects, editing, all that kind of stuff. Um, my, my approach to filmmaking is that anything is possible on screen, right? Um, that's what I learned from star Wars as a kid. And so I, uh, like in in the rocket list which is my first film uh (laughs) and we had no money uh i wanted the end of the movie i wanted the characters to put a camera on a rocket and blast it off and the last shot is going to go from earth to space and in that you're going to see the asteroid hit earth very complex shot yeah, like easy, two, easy. <laughs> two minute shot, but we did it. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you how we did it, and, and I'll try and find a clip for you after. But like, my friend built a rocket, and it just like a small one. And uh, at Ryerson, because this is in, in post, I like put the rocket um, in front of my dorm room door, which was blue. So hey, blue screen, right? And then I had my friend orbit a lamp over it so that like, cause the rocket will do a natural spinning as it's going up and the sun is present. So he literally orbited the lamp over, I'm shooting on this blue door. And then I went to like Google maps and I got all these terrain maps and like built a massive kind of, uh, um, Ascent scent that, that goes from like very uh, zoomed in to all the way out. And it, this is so janky, but I filmed my screen with my camera to get like a natural movement. And then I just put that on the, the blue screen of the door, had a real physical element of the rocket with corresponding light movement, put it all together, did some blending. And in this $7,000 $7, film, we have a rocket that goes from ground to space. Like it's, it's so cool. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I think, and I tend to lean towards sci-fi. I think I'm able to convince a lot of people that I can pull these things off visually because uh, again, my set is, 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 you know, con- conceiving how, how to pull off these shots. So even for Clara, going into it, I said, listen, NASA's imagery, it's all public domain. Every shot of space, I want it to be real. Like all the cosmic stuff you see in the film, it's all NASA high-res imagery. Like I barely had to do anything. I just, (laughs) you know, I did some layer separation, you know, having stars coming closer to you and and all that kind of stuff that parallax, Uh, all the sun shots, we're all like, we're talking like the highest resolution footage of our sun, um, So all those Corona bursts and stuff, it's all real. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, if, if I didn't have a post, a sense of anything post related, I, I couldn't have made either of the films that I made. It just, especially on the budgets that we made them on. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think if, as a filmmaker, definitely have a toolbox, right? Figure out what you can bring to um, a film that, that someone else can't. Um, Ari Lantis, the producer, started calling me Swiss Army Man after a while, because <laughs> like I did all the effects on Clara and, and, and at some editing, and there's just a lot of hats that you end up wearing when you're scraping together a movie uh, as a young person that needs to prove themselves. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great that you had a, a background in visual effects there. And I imagine that definitely inspired the story as well. Did you have a background in like astrology as well, or did you just do a ton of research?
0: I, I mean, I've always loved space. It's like, it's literally the biggest thing ever. <laughs> like it's, it's <laughs> so, it's so cool. And, 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 uh, I thinking about the, unknown and the beyond, it's so enticing to me. Um, I did not do well in science in school, like in high school. So it, it's, pretty, it's pretty silly how I kind of ended up chasing real science in the stories I write. But um, I, I became an amateur um, astronomer to make this movie. Like I had to learn a lot, uh, learn all the types of telescopes how you know, methods of planet detection. I, be, I read like so many academic journals um, in my research for this. So I would say like I'm in, like an amateur astronomer, but we had a lot of expert help um, from like U of T's astronomy department. Um, uh, what's that school in Hamilton called? The university there. Is it McMaster? Yeah, anyway, we had, no we, <laughs> we had like three astronomy heads from three different universities, like all work together um, on this to make everything, you know, tip top. But obviously before I wrote it, I had, to, I had to kind of spend a few months really getting to know, you know, the stars and where we are and stuff. And I I think that's one of the cool things about writing is that like if you chase a topic that really interests you, you can, it's like, it's the same thing as education, right? Like, I, boom, I, I know a lot about space now, right? Uh, and then my, my the second film that I wrote after that um, was very much environmental-based. And now I know a lot more about climate change and, and Earth and how things formed. And so I think one of the awesome things about sci-fi is that, like, you can really open up these avenues of just, like education, like uh, you learn so much. Um, And so, yeah, even though I didn't get good grades in science in school, I think, I think there's something to be said about, you know, being a creative person and like, like think of, think of Gene Roddenberry who made Star Trek, right? Uh, I'm not sure about if he had a scientific background or not, but Star Trek pioneered cell phones.
1: Really? Yeah. I feel like I don't know anything about this. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, so Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, like Mm -hmm. he had, you know, cellular devices where people can talk to each other, that had not been thought of before, right? That was what the like the '60s, and so that idea came from that show, and I think that's amazing, right? Like, uh, so I I, that to me is that I I don't want to like shit on any other genre, but I think. Sci-fi is one of, the, one of the, probably the top genre where like you can still cover uncovered ground, right? You know, you know how you hear sometimes that like, oh, every movie's been made and everything's now just like a remake or a copy. I feel like sci-fi is the one genre that really flourishes and like you can tell something that's completely different in you and like mind warping, like uh, like Inception for instance, like damn, like that when that movie came out i was like i have never seen anything like this movie before
1: (laughs) yeah i had no idea i was into sci-fi i thought sci-fi was something completely different and like when i looked at my favorite films i was like oh my god they're all sci-fi and like ex machina is by far like one of my one of my favorites and yeah i just didn't really put it together but like it's it's what i like as well and totally agree with you you have so many Things you can pull from, and you can create new things, and yeah, I just think that's really interesting.
0: Well, I, and I also think sci-fi ties into philosophy so much. Like you mentioned, Ex Machina, like there is like almost a reality where you can reach that point of, I, I guess they call it singularity, where like, or like in that movie, I think it was the Turing test, where like you can't tell if something is AI. That's scary. Like that has a lot of philosophical implications um and also says so much about us like if you can create a being that's cybernetic but is perfectly human on the outside like that's like an act of creation right like it's anyway like I, that that that's why i love this genre so much like am I'm, I'm not so into like you know spaceships for spaceships sake it's it's only if there's something deeper to like the the fabric of the story i like i think interstellar is a really good example arrival's pretty good for that too um Mm -hmm. like these emotional journeys but there's this wonderful backdrop that i don't know helps people believe in 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 in, and think and like after the the credits roll like you're talking about it what did that mean how did that thing happen
1: those are the exact types of films that I want to make. I, like, I honestly just want to make films that people have to think about. And I feel like it sucks because I, I don't know how you feel about this, but it feels like a lot of people don't always want to watch films like that because it takes more effort almost. But like, like my friends in film school obviously do. It just seems like the greater population struggles to, to want to put things together in their own head. Uh, they'd rather have people tell them like verbally through lazy dialogue or something.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you're onto something like that, but I think that's kind of the interesting challenge of our generation of filmmakers, right? Just how do you, how do you take that challenge? And, 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 and like, like I, I would say Christopher Nolan is one of the best filmmakers in that sense, you know, his, his films are massively mainstream, right? Like, most people have seen inception most people have seen you know interstellar that kind of stuff everyone's seen the dark knight um i think he's a filmmaker that has kind of broken through that barrier um and so yeah what what a kind of interesting challenge for filmmakers like us to to achieve that as well because i i totally agree like i mean i enjoy like the marvel movies and stuff but there is Know there's something left to be desired that's like I don't know, it just makes you think. Um, there's nothing wrong with a good popcorn flick that everyone can watch and just oh, for sure, and turn off your brain and just be entertained. But like, it's really funny. Like, you you do find I find both highly creative people and highly like scientific people tend to watch higher concept films. Um, you know, they're not going to be watching like uh uh i don't want to shit on a movie (laughs) just i don't know they're not going to be watching like your standard kind of i don't know transformers gets shit
1: on them yeah i know what you mean
0: yeah and uh it's funny like i i I don't even hate the transformers i'll watch them um i actually think that they're, they do such a disservice to the VFX in those movies because the VFX is phenomenal. They capture every movement of the robots. And then the editing is just like cutting around at like warp speed and you don't see anything. It's, but if you freeze frame, it's like, wow, these VFX artists did a great job. So um, I don't know, film, film is in an interesting place right now, just in general. Um, one, will theaters make a comeback? Like... All, all, the local theaters where I am, the kind of, um, grandfathered in ones like that have been here for, you know, 50 plus years, they're closing down. Right. They're not. And, uh, I know Cineplex took a big hit and I, I hope that people can revive it. Tenant was the only thing I saw in theaters last year. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, you know, you think of things like Netflix, which have been so good for TV. Like, wow, like what what golden era of TV? But I feel like movies. I can't even name like a Netflix movie off the top of my head. Um, they, and they get like great creatives and 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 actors, but I think without like having like a theater premiere and a theater run and like all that lead up, you know, having to to go outside get to the theater buy popcorn watch the movie it's like a ritual it's ceremonious right mm-hmm. um uh, a friend of mine you know we were big star wars fans and we got a little sad that they were like releasing a stars movie like every year um because like in, in this last little trilogy and and offshoots because like star wars is like it's like an event right like it it's good that they make you wait three years. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it gives them time to do their best job of making a movie. It gives you time to like, you know, let the first one sink in. I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I think, I think instant gratification, you know, being able to select a title, uh, at, at you know whenever you want, and or drop out ten minutes in, yeah, like that that kind of like fast food mentality, it, it, I think it does threaten cinema a lot actually. And so again, w- what, a, what, a, what a job, you know, the new generation of filmmakers have to do to, to uh, reinstate a lot of that kind of ritualistic part of, of film of, of, of making sure it, uh, I don't know, it, it feels like a, a, an evening.
1: It scares me, honestly, like uh, picturing a world without movie theaters. I mean, I sound like such a filmmaker when I say that, but it's honestly true. Like, I feel like I'll start with this. In high school, I used to make films for each of our assemblies, so I would make like a 10 to 12 minute short film. And for me, there was nothing like hearing an audience react like a group of, I don't know, maybe it was like 800 to 1000 people in the in the stadium. And hearing them react to my films and like where they laughed, where they didn't, when they were supposed to and like little things like that seriously, like meant so much to me at points. It made my stomach turn, but like that was so important for me to hear and to feel.
0: I mean, human beings are uh, ceremonious beings and, um, a movie theater is like our temple, kind of, right? It, everything goes silent. It's almost meditative. You, you get to, the room goes dark, and you can be in a room full of whole, like a bunch of people, but some, uh, to me, a good movie is like a movie that makes you react with an entire crowd and like you feel that like as a collective, but then gets to these small moments where like it just feels like you in the movie. And, and it's just this incredible connection. And so, I, yeah, I really, I really will always advocate for going to the movie theater. During the pandemic, I, um, I, I kind of transformed my basement into a home theater, like Dolby Surround and like big OLED TV and got like Lord of the Rings 4K and stuff like, and I perfected my, my popcorn recipe. Cause it's like, <laughs> and then we, we invite friends over, you know, in safe amounts. Because uh, we want to have that experience, right? Like yeah. Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong came out, and like I'm not gonna watch that on a laptop, <laughs> right? Like I want, I want it to go shake mm. the house, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think we are at a really interesting point in content making and and, and film, and uh, I think I think it's a medium that needs to really be protected. Um, I watched this amazing documentary on Netflix, ironically. Um, it's called The Last Blockbuster. And I, I, I totally, was I a highly recommend it.
1: Oh, I've seen that. That was a my road reel submission. I was in that film competition. I was watching that.
0: Cool. Yeah. And so, you know, just thinking back to the days of rent and movies, you know, like you go with your family or your friends, you go to the movie store, you got to commit to it, right? Like you got... You know, you pick a couple, you got to return it. Like, there's just so much, there's so much more moments of connection and, and and forging of memories. Like, I can remember movies that I rented. Like, I can remember the day and stuff. I can't tell you the last, you know, a, a, a specific moment that I watched uh, a streaming movie, <laughs> right? It just kind of blurs together. And so, I don't know. There's something. There's something to be said about, um just kind of treating our medium with a lot of reverence and uh yeah like I want to I want to keep going to the theater for as long as I live.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Now I I want to pick your brain on some directing stuff. I have a few probably faster questions. Um what advice would you give to me and other filmmakers in my position about being passionate about becoming a director? Like kind of almost what steps
0: Again, my my number one motto is create things. One thing I found in film school is that you you can't be taught how to be a director, right? It's not the same thing as like a cinematographer where like you can learn the, you know, the science of framing and all that kind of stuff. Directing is such a, it's such a learned phenomenon by just doing it and, and working with actors and stuff. And so I would say, like shoot stuff and 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 work with actors in the theater program and like get to know how to cast that energy on a set. I believe that's what the role of a director is, right? Um, obviously, you have an AD that makes sure that the day goes as planned and everything's on schedule. The director is to make sure that you maximize energy in all forms um, in every department, and so. I think you can really only know how to do that by, by collaborating and talking to people and, and, and doing it more and more.
1: What's something you wish you knew uh, about directing your first feature, something that you realized after the fact that you wish you could have done differently?
0: Ooh, that is a good question. Um... Oh, that's a good question. I think, I think I would have probably would have told myself to like, not, um, think about the outcome too much, uh, you know, in in our industry, which half of it is a business, right? There's all these metrics of like, oh, the audience score needs to be this, like the test audience score, the the box office receipts need to be this. And so I think I was really scared. Not, not so much about what I was directing in the moment, but like, Oh God, is this movie going to be any good? Is it going to be a success or failure about those metrics? I think if I could tell myself now, I'd be like, dude, like that's not even your realm of this. Like just, just make the movie, love the movie, do your best. And that's, that's it. <laughs> like, uh, the The distribution phase was probably the hardest thing I had ever had to deal with as a filmmaker, because um, it's everything is completely out of your control. The distributor is going to do what they want. They're gonna they're gonna you know market it how they want, and so there. I I wish I wish someone could have just told me like, do your best, get it done, and then let it go. You know, like just let it float out there, and then move on to the next thing.
1: Easier said than done. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's amazing advice. Um I recently got the chance to learn from Grant Harvey, who is a well-known director around Toronto, and one interesting technique he taught me was when he's shooting reverses, he directs the actor behind the camera to amplify their performance to get bigger reactions out of the actor in front of the camera. I understand that was a mouthful, but um if you understand are there any techniques you've developed or learned that are kind of similar to this?
0: That's an interesting technique. I don't know. I feel like you'd have to ask the Astrid's permission for that. <laughs> Cause you know, it, it, yeah, I guess you don't want to distract them too much, but that's, that's mm. really cool. Um, if there's any techniques that I implemented, I would say I started to say action and cut less after a while i would just say to the actor whenever you feel like it you know what i mean like I, that 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 in point out point thing about directing it's it's kind of jarring like i I, and I can only assume it's a little jarring for the for the for the for the actor and so the, the, if you have the ability to just keep rolling do that like don't don't disrupt the energy and, and and don't put a stop to it. Let it let it flow. Let it let it naturally carve itself out. So yeah, I'd say keep rolling and 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 your in and out points are gonna be in editing. Don't 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 kind of force that on the actor.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I had Sean Dolan on the podcast. It was my first episode, and he was saying how just important it is to have that time to get into character. And I think what's interesting about that is that's exactly what that does whenever you're ready would mean, you know, let me just take a second here and, and then I can start when I'm ready. And when you call action, like you said, it's kind of jarring, I imagine, sometimes. So I think that's a very valuable technique. What are some instances of a scene not working out and how did you get around it?
0: You know, one of the worst parts of filming outdoors and especially in Canada at certain seasons is the weather can be, like things like the weather can be crippling and you, you, have, to, you have to work on the fly and, and figure out how to, how to adapt. Um, the most, emo- what, what I consider to be the most emotional scene in my film Clara were the two, uh, uh, two actors on, on this park bench um, and staring up at the sky um, after like a really emotional trip to the hospital. Um, we did that in two takes. And ideally, you want as many takes as you can. But it was freezing; like it was so cold. And the actors are like, we, "We can't act in this; like we're we're gonna freeze to death." And so I knew that I could only really get two takes out of it. And um, uh, I, I basically I, I i spoke to the actor in his trailer, and I said, "Listen." Um, and, and he, he was actually like, he was kind of worried. He was like, I, I feel like the weather is going to affect your performance and you're going to lose so much of our emotion. I said, listen, man, like the, the reason why I wanted to work with you is, is like, I know that you're someone who can naturally just whatever you put on, put out, like, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And so, um, it's cool that like you can harness the human connection between you know a director and an actor and stuff to get around the elements even like 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 weather and uh he did it in one take and I loved it and and I and I love that scene in the movie it's one of my favorite scenes knowing how uh how hard it was to shoot that one but then in editing I was like this is perfect. Like I I could, I don't think he, this could have been any better. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's like, don't worry too much. Adapt in the moment and encourage each other. And like, I, I try not to be too precious because I think, I think that that holds you back from letting something become what it needs to be in the edit and stuff.
1: This was an amazing conversation, man. Thank you so much. For doing this man you ever since you messaged me have been just like someone who I've constantly thought about and like that just meant a lot to me and I thought a lot about what you said and it's definitely very inspirational you know what you've done and how you just kind of dove in and just made such an amazing film that I really enjoyed for anyone listening if you haven't seen Clara you have to it's it's so good I watched it on YouTube actually um so thank you yet again akash for everything
0: thanks sam yeah um totally like i'm I'm excited for you as a filmmaker uh I, I immediately saw so much potential in you and your work um and i think i think you're going down this career path with a really level head and i'm i'm really excited for it
1: thank you I hope you enjoy the show. Akash is just such a genuine person. So now you definitely have to go see Clara. Rented on YouTube. I would also suggest following Akash on Instagram. He's just at Akash Sherman. It's just his name, all lowercase. He's a hard worker. He's doing amazing things. And I know that he's going to keep creating amazing things. So yeah, I'm excited to see him continue his journey and follow him along. So you should do the same. Anyway, thank you so much for listening again and supporting this podcast. It means a lot.